Welcome to Every Moment His. This is a podcast where we seek to bring every aspect, every moment of our lives under the gentle authority of Jesus Christ, the King of the universe. We're glad you're here when we pray this conversation is a blessing to you. Good morning, Pastor Tim. Hey, Pastor John. We're going to talk about the Methodists today. I'm excited for the, the conversation about the Methodists. Why, why are we doing these podcasts? Uh, we are doing this because, you know, we did a class on denominations last summer and everybody showed up for it. Everybody was very interested. And so lots of questions because maybe people grew up Methodist or right. they have friends who are Methodist or ELCA or Presbyterian or Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox or whatever. Hmm. And so I think the question of denominations is very interesting for people. And I think I found when I taught that class that it becomes an opportunity to teach theology, yeah. to teach what does the scripture say about these very important topics, whether it be sin or salvation or last things or um, the sacraments. And, and then as you're teaching that, you clarify your own confession of faith. Mm. Like, why do we believe what we believe? What are the reasons? And why are the, there are these, um, while we can say we're all Christians, despite having denominational differences, why are there differences? Um, yeah, good. So we want to help, help people understand this, this, uh, the distinctions. Yeah. We don't want to be overly critical. Yeah, we're not here to flex, you know, and be yeah. like, hey, LCMS, Lutheran, best church there is, you know? Yeah, get like, out of town, everybody else. Everybody else is just, you're doing it wrong. I mean, yeah. no, I mean, we know Christians from these confessions. Um, sometimes we've spent time in these confessions mm -hmm. uh, of faith, these denominations. Um, but, but it's worth a conversation to say, well, why do we practice or believe certain things differently? And from an LCMS Lutheran perspective, we're going to take the scriptures very seriously. We're going to take the uh, history of the church, the tradition of the church seriously too. Not equally, but seriously. Um, yeah, and so we're going to start with the Methodists, and I, I chose to start with the Methodists today because I, I think I talked to you about this, is that I run into so many people who say, I grew up Methodist, or, um, you know, I went to a Methodist uh, VBS mm -hmm. with my grandparents or something, and, and so a lot of people coming into our church, their point of reference for their Christianity is the Methodist church. Um, so yeah. Um, it's almost like the, we have a lot of people who have a Roman Catholic background who come into our church, but for yep. Protestant <clears throat> background, a lot of times it's Methodist. And yeah, you're right. Um, Methodist, yeah, uh, either that or uh, ELCA possibly yeah. coming into our congregation. And, I, and I, when I ask people, well, what, what is specifically do you remember about the Methodist church and its teachings? Is there anything that makes you stand out as a Methodist? A lot of times people will say, I don't know. Yeah, so. and that might be a bit of a critique <laughs> of, of the tradition as it is now. As it is now, yeah. because it has a pretty rich history yeah. and, a, and a very fiery history, fiery, like the fire of the spirit. Um, in fact, they've got a pretty cool logo. Yeah, I mean, it's got kind a, cross, a fiery cross. It's got like a fire next to it. Yep. Um, and I think th there's a reason for that, and we'll talk about that later. So sort of our method in talking about mm. Methodism mm. is that we're going to first uh, talk about the history 
and really what the church in its formal writings or documents would say, this is what we stand for. Um, however, as we'll find out with a lot of these church bodies, the church body is not now what it originally was. It's changed. In many cases, this is an effect of what we call liberal Protestantism, um, in which the things that we say we believe don't mean what we say they mean. They mean something different. Okay. We have to reinterpret. So the lab labels are kind of changed. Yeah, maybe. we have to redefine what things mean. Um, yeah, we'll get to that. So I'd like to begin with all these podcasts by sharing a few things that we really appreciate about the Methodists. Um, do you want to go first? Sure. So, um, yeah, I think the uh, some things to appreciate is they do have a, a long history and they have a uh, emphasis of spreading the gospel mm -hmm. and uh, taking sanctification or the holy life seriously. Yeah, and that's where the, the name Methodist comes from is this method of the Christian life. Mm -hmm. And so John Wesley, its founder, was focused less on what the Christian believes and, and rather the Christian's life, the quality of life, striving after holiness. And I, yeah. yeah, so I, I thought that's a benefit. You know, that's a good thing to focus on. Yeah. And even mm -hmm. to, tr you know, maybe if you've been a Christian for a while, you've tried to systematize your own habits of life. You know, you've right. tried to say, um, I'm going to study the scriptures every day. Um, I'm going to have specific days set aside for prayer or mm -hmm. meditation. I'm going to uh, have specific methods that I use, bef like maybe before I go to Sunday worship, I'm going to have a system of preparing myself yeah. or a mm -hmm. system of obtaining godly counsel before I make a big decision. Yeah, or I'm going to put some restraints on myself, like I'm not going to drink alcohol or right. I'm only going to have one or two drinks. For a time or for something time, like that. Yeah. yeah, or I'm going to avoid tobacco or, you know, things like mm -hmm. that. I mean, so these personal holiness, uh, uh, this focus on personal holiness, yeah, and um, just to give a little bit of historical background there in, on this point of appreciation, you know, we think of, you know, the Western expansion, Western European expansion uh, across the Great Plains as little house on the prairie, maybe, you know, mm -hmm. virtuous, God-fearing people. Yeah. Not the case. No. Actually, if you read the history. <laughs> it's amazing. It was like a lot of booze and brothels. Yeah. And um, Wild West is more. Wild West. Yeah. There you go. Lawless. Yes. Lawless. And so uh, the Methodist movement, actually, it, I think it did two things. I mean, it did some things that had never been done before. Open air preaching, you know, preaching not in a church, but just mm -hmm. out in the field or the town square. And this emphasis to bring the gospel to anybody and everybody. And in doing that, um, it helped to church the frontier. That's why there's a lot of Methodist churches mm -hmm. uh, out here. Um, and then also it helped actually kind of uh, create some social change. Um, kind of curbed some of the, mm -hmm. the, not the destructive habits of, of the kind of Wild West. It curbed that yeah. and, and brought people kind of into a, at least a more godly way of thinking or standards. Yeah, it was like say. sober up everybody. Yeah. You know? and, and like even if you're not a Christian, you know, like the townsfolk aren't going to like it if you go, right. you know, shoot up, you know, shooting your gun in the sky and, and drinking all the booze you can find. Yeah. So, um, 
I don't know if John Wayne was a Methodist, but uh, <laughs> uh, so that, that's an honest point of appreciation. Is you know they in a way the Methodists really like plowed the ground for uh, evangelism hmm. and even the transformation of society. And so you can't really understand American Christianity if you don't understand Methodism. Okay, Methodism came out of um, kind of Anglicanism historically. Yeah. Yeah, one, one more point of appreciation. I was actually baptized in a Methodist church. When I really? I was five years old, yes. And so uh, shout out to uh, Faith, uh, Faith Westwood United Methodist Church uh, right next to the middle school I went to in Millard. There you Omaha. go. Uh, yeah. That's where it, it all started. That's where I got the water and the word. It's awesome. Promises of God. So special place in my heart. Um, but yeah, so history, uh, it all started with a guy named John Wesley. And by the way, his brother Charles Wesley was a hymn writer, but Famous. so was John. And so if you look in our, in our hymn book, there are some hymns in there by the Wesley Brothers. Mm -hmm. That was their band name. <laughs> the uh, Wesley Brothers? The Wesley Brothers, Oh, yeah. that's, that's cool. Yeah, I know so, they had a bad name. Um, uh, and so this is 1703 what's to a, 1791. What's a hymn? Sorry to interrupt. What's yeah. a hymn? Uh, how sweet the name of Jesus sounds, I think would be one. Rock of Ages? No. No? Um, in a little bit here when you're, okay, when you're all right. talking, I'll, I'll crack the hymn. <laughs> um, 1703 to 1791 was uh, John Wesley's uh, birth to death. And so he's working uh, really pre, mostly pre-revolutionary um, war here. Um, but his, his uh, background is interesting because Wesley grew up in a Christian home, and, but it was a very legalistic, moralistic, you have to strive harder, do your best, and hmm. God will give you eternal life to those who try their hardest kind of um, upbringing. And, you know, I think Wesley really tried hard to be a good Christian, and he just wasn't, he wasn't making it. In fact, I believe he tried to be a missionary in, uh, I believe it was in Georgia or South Carolina, and it just failed. Hmm. And so defeated, you know, um, uh, he was just wrestling, having a crisis of faith. And he says, he claims that he was converted. His heart was strangely warmed as he listened to somebody read in the public square Romans, uh, Paul's um, preface to the letter of Romans. Really? Uh, did I say Paul? Luther. Luther yeah. Luther's yeah. preface to the letter of Romans. And when he heard the message of justification by grace through faith, he says that he, he let go of his strivings and knew that his sins were forgiven hmm. and trusted in grace alone. And so there's a point of connection with Luther there. Um, but then um, he was an Anglican or we would call an Episcopalian here in the States um, and Church of England. But there was a controversy with regard to um, Calvinism or Arminianism. And um, Calvinism will lead later in our podcast to our Presbyterian friends. But, um, but he took the Arminian track. And so can you talk about uh, Jacob Arminius and what that's all about? Uh, I, the big question is, is kind of the one of the will, mm -hmm. you know, so Arminians are free will Christians. So they would say that God has imbued humanity with a free will. It's almost like their top doctrine. 
to yeah. say that like it's our will to choose God and to choose following Jesus and to choose salvation. Um, and it tends to ignore um, all the scriptures that say uh, the opposite of that, that say right. humans are bound in their sin unless God comes and re- uh, frees them or no one can find the father unless the son reveals the father to them. Um, and so these kinds of things, they just don't tend to have on their uh, priority list, I guess you could say. So for them, yeah. it, it's all about, you know, we would be able able to choose God and able to make that rational decision to follow mm-hmm. him. Uh, and Calvin would say no. And we'll get into more of this later, but Luther would say no too. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the... That's what they, they ended up on that free will side of things, which really marries well with the American mindset and the American experiment of mm-hmm. kind of following, following your destiny and making much yeah. of yourself and fulfilling your American dream. Yeah, that if I can imagine it, I can do it. Yeah. And this idea, um, well, when we talk about free will, I mean, we as, as Lutherans would say that we have a free will. So it seems when it comes to like, I chose to buy barista's coffee today yep. instead of say Starbucks. Mm-hmm. Um, now, how much free will we actually have in decisions like that um, it gets a little tricky because had I decided I'm not going to have coffee today, that would have been a different question. Like I would have probably mm. convinced myself, <laughs> you know, I, I think I need to have some coffee this morning. Mm. Um, when we're talking about uh, matters of salvation yeah. and reaching out to God and being converted uh, in the Lutheran confessions, and we would agree with Calvin mm-hmm. on this, is that we don't have the free will, not because our wills aren't free, but because they're bound to something yeah. else. They're bound to sin. Yeah, so they're... They're not, well, they're not free in, in regard to choose what is good. And you can actually, you can just logically prove this by experience. Yeah. Um, so I can just say, hey, if you had free will right now, you could choose to stop sinning for the rest of your life. Right. And you could accomplish that. Mm-hmm. Um, so even for Christians, our wills are still conflicted. They're, they're under, they're, they're in a situation, right? They're in a situation. Yeah. 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 And, um. So, and the Christian life is, is that struggle, you yeah. know, uh, but I, I think it's even more than this question of, can I choose to follow Jesus? And, um, and Wesley would say that when Christ died, he basically earned or gave to every human being the spark of free will by which mm-hmm. they could choose Christ. Um, but I think it goes deeper than that because one of the things um, I've heard said um, is that God would never give us a commandment that we couldn't keep. And I think that if you take Methodism hmm. in a certain direction, there are some Methodists who would say, well, yeah, God wouldn't give you a commandment that you couldn't keep. That wouldn't be fair. Yeah, so therefore, keep them all. And you can. Yeah. And, but... Our sin is not just that we make bad choices. Our sin is that we have this corrupted condition in which um, we always fail to do all that we are to to do, and we always fail to avoid everything we're supposed to avoid. Yeah. So in, in our confessions in our congregation, we say, you know, often uh, I I confess I am by nature sinful and unclean. 
And so it's not that um, we, it's not just that we have chosen to sin occasionally, but it's that our nature um, is imbued with sin right yeah. now. And we can't just, we can't just brush it off. You know, it's right. um, one, one good analogy is, is we have a corrupted operating system, you know, for computers. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. there's like, there's just something in there that no matter what program I try to run, it always has an error. No matter how many times you reboot. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, God gives us commandments and just because we can't keep them doesn't mean the standard changes. Mm-hmm. It's like if you, if you had narcolepsy as a driver and, you know, you would get pulled over, you know, for falling asleep at the wheel mm-hmm. on, on the interstate or even worse, you know, running into something yep. you're falling asleep while you're driving. The fact that you have that condition doesn't change like the speed limit and the rules yeah. of the of 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 the road, right? Yeah, they're like, oh, you have narcolepsy. Okay, You're no good. problem. Yeah. Then or you, you couldn't have followed that law, so or you therefore, have terrible it doesn't vision. apply no. to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. So the law, the standard, it rests in God and His person, His His being, and what we were called to be in the beginning before sin entered. And so the standard doesn't change just because we can't keep it. Yeah. And so this standards there, and we would, we would agree with Luther Calvin scriptures. Um, when it says we were dead in our trespasses, Yeah, we were blind. We weren't just sleepy in our trespasses. We were dead in them. Yeah. We were, um, enemies of God that Paul says, um, I think it's in first Corinthians chapter two, that the natural man, Mm. the person who's not converted does not receive the things of the spirit of God. Mm -hmm. Nor can he, right? He says no can he. Or those who are in the flesh Mm -hmm. are hostile. They cannot please God. and, And so I think the main critique that we'd have of Methodism is that John Wesley and then Methodism following would have too high of a view of human nature it's too optimistic about the good choices we can make and the ability to um, to be converted of our own power, to choose yeah. Jesus. Right. So this is the first major, I would say, major departure point. Mm-hmm. And just to summarize it for people listening, um, the Lutheran church, our church body is going to say, no, humans really don't have free will. They're bound to sin. Um, they cannot be converted of their own will. Um, right. In fact, if anyone believes in God, it's because God has subverted their will and mm-hmm. given them a new nature by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and to speak in a scripture example, um, when Jesus in the Gospels in Matthew talks about um, the, the one who enters the strong man's house, mm-hmm. right? And uh, basically kicks him out and takes over the house. Yeah, That's he can't plunder his goods unless he yeah. finds the strong man. Mm-hmm. And we would say that strong man is the devil, right? Or the power of evil. Yeah. And then the one who comes and plunders the house is Jesus. And he's the one who converts us. And while we might have the experience of surrendering everything to Christ Mm -hmm. or choosing Jesus, um, if you look under the hood of what's happening, it's the spirit of God because apart from the spirit, nobody would ever choose Jesus. We would always yeah. find a, w- a way out, you know? I think that's like, if, if God gave you a million years of life, 
in those million years apart from his intervention, you would always choose yourself as God and never him. Yeah. So the issue is the problem is in the will and the, in the Methodist Arminian way of thinking, no, the will is kind of a neutral actor and mm-hmm. the will can accomplish some movement toward God on its own. And so we say no. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's one of the major distinctions. You might think, well, what does that really matter? Why, yeah, why that, does it matter? Well, let's, yeah. okay, and here's where we're going to get to a couple yeah. other critiques. All of theology matters, and it's all connected. It's like a Rubik's Cube. When you move something, something else moves. And, like, everything affects everything else. And so, uh, if you're going to say that the will has the power, even though God gives it the power to choose, the, the will has the power to choose Jesus and to keep the commandments, um, this is going to lead to what I would say uh, is a view of sanctification. And by sanctification, we mean growth in living the Christian life, making progress in um, living as you're supposed to as a Christian. Um, Now, in the Wesleyan or Methodist tradition, uh, there's this idea of uh, entire sanctification where we can arrive at perfect maturity, you know, that um, where we no longer are, or we might have a day or two or whatever where we go without sinning, hmm. that we, we've arrived at this maturity um, that is beyond, you know, falling into sin. And so we're almost transcending our sinful nature. Right. And while or, it is true, like that, you know, in baptism we die daily with Christ and we can, by the Spirit of God, we can overcome destructive sinful habits and keep them at, at bay. That's the Christian life. Mm-hmm. But um, this idea that we could like, arrive at a place where we're no longer sinning, I think that number one, that doesn't recognize how utterly sinful sin is. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's in the water, it's, it's infected everything. And I also think it leaves us open to pride or the opposite end, it leads us open to despair. And so this is going to lead to a couple things. It's going to lead to maybe legalism, where, you know, because you can feel like you're really winning as a Christian in your sanctification. If you say, the main thing is you don't smoke or don't drink. Right, right. right. And then everybody's like, well, I gave up smoking, and I don't drink anymore. So Got I'm, it done. I'm, I'm really killing it as a Christian. Yeah. But, okay. <laughs> Nowhere in scripture are either of those things forbidden. (laughs) And also, you know, like you could have other things at work in you, like a lovelessness towards others, judgmental spirit, pride. And so we would just say that sin is more subtle. It, It creeps underneath everything. Yeah. And not, I mean, beyond that, beyond just the, re, the rational argument that, um, okay, if you think you can stop sinning, um, just, just stop the pride in your heart. Yeah. Have you, st- have you completely stopped the, the desire to be better than others and appear better than others? And, yeah. Um, and to not be a humble receiver of God's gifts. Like, of course not. You know, right. like you can't try to try to control your heart, try to control your tongue. Yeah, you know. try to control what you desire, and you yeah. can't. And so that, and, yeah, that's the logical. Right. It's not not possible. But then there's a scriptural. It's not possible. Right. And if you read like Wesley's writings on Christian perfection, you mm-hmm. know, it's like uh, 
maybe I'm not a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> you read it and yeah. it's like, wow, man, you had, a, you had some genetics that made you predisposed for <laughs> like uh, self-control. Holy li- yeah, right. Holy living. Yeah. And, um, it, and so this can actually spiral you into a pretty dark place if you take it seriously because we teach as Lutherans that the law always accuses. It's not, not all it does. It can instruct and guide. It can keep us from doing dumb stuff. But it, um, it always points the finger at the old Adam, the old sinful nature, and says, no, like you're a sinner under God's wrath. And so our view of sanctification as Lutherans is going to be, it's not going to be inter- incremental, gradual, uh, like look at what progress I've made. Mm-hmm. In fact, I don't think it's correct to talk about progressive sanctification necessarily, meaning I'm progressing in my Christian walk. Number one, because um, the moment you've conquered one sin, another one pops Hmm. up. You might have conquered uh, lust, but then pride comes in. You may have conquered, you know, say, the abuse of alcohol, but then, you know, you begin to become a super judgmental, angry person. You know, it's like displacement. Yeah, <laughs> right. And then also what I, I, I think that, that we as Lutherans are going to say, as long as we are alive in this body, the old sinful nature clings and it doesn't get any better. Yeah. You might get better at putting it to death, calling it out and putting it to death. Yeah. Um, but um, the voice is still going to be there. It's still there. Yeah. yeah and so... A proper way of thinking about sanctification, I think, would be we got to talk in 100 percentages. Mm -hmm. Like every day I have to completely die and rise again with Christ in baptism. Mm -hmm. And so every day I need to, to return to my baptism. I have to die. I have to rise. And so we're talking in extremes, I think, but it's daily. You got to start over daily. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like, like, yeah, don't expect that it's going to be easier tomorrow than it was today. Right. And Um, the struggle is going to be the same until you die. In fact, the fact that we die is proof that we're still sinners. Yeah. Right. Because if we really did say, okay, I'm a hundred percent sanctified in this life, wouldn't God just say, well, heaven's open to you. Come on up. And also, I think it's true that sometimes in our growth as a Christian, it gets worse before it gets better, you know? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, so I've always tried to tell people um, to be more sanctified is to go down with mm. Jesus instead of up. We tend to think of it as, I'm just getting a little bit better at my Christian walk and my habits and all that. And, just and, a closer walk with the... Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I'm becoming less dependent on Jesus and less dependent on forgiveness as I'm growing in Christ. And it's like, well, that doesn't make sense. Yeah. And the truth is, no, at, growth in the Christian life is be, realizing I'm more dependent on Jesus. I am more in need of his grace because I see my sin more clearly I'm maybe more quick to confess it and to be humble because of that. So it's increasing our dependence on grace. And that means we are increasing our knowledge of our own sin. Hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So this you, is, yeah, this is why uh, in the history of the Lutheran church in America, the Lutherans uh, were, were often um, preaching sermons against the Methodists. 
<laughs> and so a little bit of history here. If you read somebody like C.F.W. Walther, who is the um, first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, professor, pastor in St. Louis, um, he's always railing against the Methodists. Now, um, <laughs> and here's why. Um, number one, the Methodists uh, at that time uh, were, uh, they had moved into what's called revivalism. And revivalism is this idea that, you know, we need to, um, if we have fiery preaching and, and really emotional hymns, people will be moved and they'll come up to the front of the church and they'll kneel at the anxious hmm. bench. They call it the anxious yeah, bench. That's right, yeah, that's right. People would be very emotional and, and they'll surrender everything to Jesus. And so they were using these methods, you know, by, by which to convert people. Kind of emotionally manipulative methods. Sometimes, yeah. yeah. And, um, and so uh, the Lutherans, Walther in particular, were very critical of this. In fact, um, one of the big controversies, um, we're recording this podcast before I go to convention, the LCMS mm, okay. convention. Well, if you were to go back to the conventions back then, one of the big controversies was we got these Lutheran churches who are using Methodist hymnals. And so, which is funny because now we have John and Charles Wesley's hymns in our hymnals. Yeah, they had yeah. to pass doctrinal review. But, uh, but because they would sometimes be hymns that were focused on what am I doing for Jesus rather than what Jesus has done for me. So originally the circuit mm. visitor... Uh, the circuit visitor is kind of the pastor who's like the first among equals within the like, pastor of the pastors within an area. So like we're in the Carney circuit. Yeah. Um, originally the circuit visitor, one of the roles was, was to make sure you didn't have uh, Methodist hymnals, check their hymnals, yeah. check your hymnals, man. <laughs> um, and so uh, a little bit of interesting history there is that um, uh, CFW author in his in his book, Law and Gospel, he's always talking about the Methodists. Yeah. So just to kind of recap, bring us maybe back into this um, Sorry, clarity. It's tangent. okay. There's yeah. a lot of good tangents here, but I think there's a thread we could, we could sew between these things. Because if one of the main distinctions between our theology and beliefs is, has to do with human nature, uh, Lutherans have a low view of human nature. Mm -hmm. They're not going to be able to do much apart from God. Um, Methodists have a higher view of human nature. Yeah. We can cooperate with God. We can choose him to some degree. And that's kind of on us. Well, that kind of bleeds into, okay, how are we going to understand the Christian life? Lutherans are going to say the Christian life is primarily confession and repentance, mm -hmm. receiving from God in yeah. our low, in our low, humble state. And that's going to be the main thing is keeping the, the preaching of the word, the free gospel, the yeah. sacraments. And then go love your neighbor. Yeah. Uh, but don't think you're going to overcome in this life necessarily. Right. The Methodists are going to be focused much more on our human behavior and changes and uh, that holiness of life. So they're really going to aim at that in people's lives, right? Aim at uh, increasing their holiness and when they're trying to convert people, they're going to try to um, convert the will. They're going to aim at the interior emotions and try to stir up people to, to uh, have this 
emotional change of heart. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be the primary tactic. Whereas Lutherans are probably not, they're going to have maybe things that affect the emotions, but they're more interested in just proclaiming God's word. Yeah. And I think I'm being fair when I make I those so kind too. of yeah, and, distinctions. And granted, like you can go to some Lutheran congregations in the LCMS and they're going to feel more Methodist, mm. like just on the ground, like the way they're preaching and the way they're worshiping. But you can probably find some Methodist congregations that you go to and they're going to maybe be proclaiming, um, you know, the law and the gospel and Christ crucified for you. In mm -hmm. fact, I went to a conference a couple of years ago and one of the speakers was Methodist and I've never heard a better law gospel yeah. proclamation of Christ for you crucified and risen than from this Methodist pastor. Cool. And so, yeah, yeah but um, all that being said, let's move on now to uh, where the Methodist church is now because I, I have a feeling maybe maybe some people listening thus far have said, you know, talking about holiness and revivalism, they'll be like, man, that sounds like grandma's Methodist church. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Uh, but I have a feeling that some people have been listening who maybe grew up Methodist who are like, well, that doesn't sound like my church. Like there's no real emphasis on holiness or deciding to follow Jesus or revivalism. And that is because mm. by and large, where um, I would say significantly, um, there's been a liberal move within the Methodist church. And by liberal, what I mean by that word, the word liberal comes from the word where we get liberty, which means freedom. And so if we're talking about the freedom we have as Christians to live in the gospel and enjoy Christ's forgiveness, if that's what you mean by liberal, cool. Yeah. That's not what we mean. By liberal, it means the freedom to change Christian doctrines and teachings to accommodate to reason, experience, and culture. Okay. And so this is something that has moved through all Christian denominations. We'll get to this in the ELCA, the Presbyterian Church. And um, the Methodists have experienced this effect of liberalism in their denomination, the United Methodist Church, for decades. And yet only recently it's come to a head in which there's been a major church split. Mm -hmm. I just read the other day that 4,000 congregations have voted to leave the United Methodist Church this year and 6,000 altogether since 2019. Yeah, so there's, and I think maybe that we can say um, the Methodist emphasis on good deeds, piety, mm -hmm. holy living, tends to also correspond to a, a lesser emphasis on doctrine, truth. Yeah. Kind of unhitches mm -hmm. it from that. And because of that, you're going to have maybe, well, and they're, they're, and I have to commend the Methodists for the, the great concern they have for the care of society. Mm -hmm. This idea that you can change society. And, and I think there's valid truth to that. I don't think it's the purpose of the church. Yeah. I think the purpose of the church is to proclaim the gospel, which changes hearts, which leads us to live differently in society. Yeah. But um, sometimes the church then, here's what happens, is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is no longer that Christ was literally physically raised from the dead as the first fruits and guarantee of your literal physical resurrection. It becomes a symbol of new life. Yeah. Jesus mm. was not born of mm. a virgin. Uh, but he's, he's a simply divine human being 
who teaches us how we can be more like God and love our neighbor. And so then yeah, the purpose of the, the cross, church. right? Yeah, the cross is this amazing act of of surrender and love yeah. in the face of enemies. And, and non-violence, so, maybe. Non-violence, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so all these traditional uh, Christian doctrines, they get redefined, undermined, you know, ignored, downplayed. And now the church becomes this vehicle for social change by which um, we, the church, we're no longer in the business of saving souls. Yeah. We're in the business of transforming society. You might hear, you know, I don't know if this is, comes from the Methodist church, but this idea of deeds and not creeds. Mm-hmm. Like this is kind of what we're talking about. Like there's, yeah. there's like this push that oh, we just need to lessen our focus on doctrine, creeds, yeah. and just really focus on what we're doing. And is, is, it, is it relevant to the world? Is it helpful? Um, or is it, are we just kind of doing our own thing? And I think that kind of push can really easily get corrupted because who's going to define what the good deed is? Yeah. And, and, um, and like, and don't get me wrong. Like we as Christians should be working in our vocations to be good citizens, you know, faithful in all of our responsibilities. But it's this idea that the church is this vehicle for, we're going to do it. And, yeah. and so it, what happens is, is you get a church that becomes an activist church rather right. than a gospel proclaiming church and, um, and almost begins to kind of pander to political parties sure. to be, you know, like a helper. Yeah. And, um, and so this is why, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, this in the liberal Protestant churches, um, that there's no other gospel than the social gospel, that, mm, you know. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And how this kind of went down in the Methodist church is that, uh, and here's just an example. Um, the Methodist book of handbook of discipline. It's yep. a book of order for the way that clergy and churches should conduct themselves. Uh, states that if you are a non-celibate uh, homosexual person, so if you are in a um, sexual relationship, even if it be, you know, lifelong mm-hmm, monogamous, mm-hmm. that you are n- not able to serve as a pastor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so, and here's a stance that the church has taken for all of its 2000 years. Yeah. Right. And from the scriptures. And, and also in the Jewish, um, world before yeah. the, the New Testament. Of course. Yeah. yeah. And so this was on the books, you know, that they were not going to be affirming of those relationships among clergy. Also, they weren't allowed to perform homosexual marriages. I, I believe so, they that, weren't. that they weren't, yeah. right. And so these things are forbidden yep. according to the book. Uh, now, uh, there's been congregations for, uh, for decades who have been flouting that. They've been saying, yeah. no, we're just going to do our own thing. We're going to disobey that. In fact, uh, when I was a kid, there was a big controversy in Omaha because one of the Methodist churches in Omaha um, had an openly gay pastor. And, um, and so um, all that has been going down. And there's definitely been a faction within the United Methodist Church that's very what we call open and affirming of homosexual lifestyle and practice. And, and uh all this has come to a head where now um, there's a split in the denomination. And so the global Methodist communion 
is the church body that is siding really with African bishops, yeah. right? Because yeah. the African bishops are traditional in their understanding of marriage and sexuality. And uh, all these congregations are leaving and all these Methodist congregations are having to make a decision. Yeah. Uh, in fact, f interesting story, I was driving in Omaha the other day while I was in town seeing my folks. And uh, there's a Methodist church that I passed and it had a big sign that said, we're global Methodists. Hmm. And so that was interesting because the split's taking place and they're basically saying, if you want a church that's going to have a biblical sexual ethic, that's what we're doing. Yeah. So, it, you know, for, for, uh, for me, this is interesting history and news, you know. I don't think this really makes, you know, ABC News. But if you pay attention to what's happened, it's 2019, they had this convention and there was this, uh, push within the United Methodist Church, like, okay, this is the year we're going to overturn this this discipline mm -hmm. in our church that's been here since Wesley in our close. Yeah. This tradition, this this uh, good teaching of doctrine, finally we're going to free ourselves from this, you know, oppressive doctrine, and we're going to kind of finally be gay affirming in our practice and, and really be free. And the uh, that seemed like it had a lot of steam. And then the yeah, the African bishops from the, the Methodist church there, they said, no. I said, we, yeah. we can't do this. Stood up and said, no, we can't do this. And one of the things they said, I read the, the transcript of the speech that was given, and it was really good. Because he said, we're not children. Like, we're not going to be taught, you know, what the scripture says, as if we, as if we cannot understand it for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And what really highlighted for me is this, this United Methodist Church had really been co-opted by the cultural zeitgeist, the cultural movement in the mm. West and in the, in the States. But in the African churches, they did not have that same issue and they were not at all convinced. And I really applaud them for standing up and just yeah. saying things uh, concisely and clearly and kind of putting it out there because it really did spark um, it rallied people to say, no, we, we can't just throw away this doctrine. Yeah. Like this is, a, this is important to God. It's important to us. And we're not the yeah. first generation to come around and get it right. Well, and it's interesting that Christianity like took root in Africa yeah. very early. Exactly. I mean, if you go back to the book of Acts chapter eight, the baptism of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch, yeah. you know, he took Christianity back and there's a long tradition of the Ethiopian Coptic church. And, and so, and then Christianity spread through Africa yep. and then gave it, you know, helped in giving it to Europe. Yeah, right. And then Europe later, you know, brought Christianity to Africa and other parts. And now Africa is holding on to Christianity and being like, uh, this thing that you gave us, we'd like to keep it. Exactly, yeah. And you can't take it back from us. Because yeah, right. We're, and, and so when you think about the future of the church, I mean, orthodoxy, it may very well be kept and guarded in, in Africa. African, yeah. Asian, or, or Latin American churches. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, um, so that's what we're seeing in, in the church. We see this kind of, okay, now the United Methodist Church, um, mm -hmm. and we have a few in our city here. Mm -hmm. um, as far as I know, they're staying United Methodist. That's all I've I heard. I think so. I know yeah. that they've had conversations about it. Um, but, you know, if you're listening to this and you're a Methodist, I would say, um, first of all, I mean, 
I mean, the church community that you belong to is a sacred thing. And so I think that you need to go and talk to your leadership and say, be clear with me, shoot straight mm-hmm. with me. Mm-hmm. Are we going this direction? What does the Bible teach? And what, yeah, yeah. defend this from scripture. Yeah. And because I think one of the reasons that theological liberalism has gotten ground in churches, honestly, it doesn't come in through the lay people. It comes in through the clergy. Yeah, and, and so also the lay well, people yeah. need to be the ones who are going to who if if the clergy are beginning to speak in this way and, and they're being ambiguous about things, well, you know, this way or that way, you know, you, I think lay people have a responsibility to hold their clergy to the scriptures. Yeah. In fact, um, you know, our, our denomination went through this back in the 60s mm-hmm, and 70s, mm-hmm. and it, oftentimes it was the lay people who were saying, no, the scriptures. Yeah. So I, my encouragement would be to have a really honest conversation to be like, where is this going? Um, but then if, if you know your church is not going to hold to traditional Christian doctrine, you need to find a different church. You need to find yeah. a community of, of Christians who are going to confess the truth with you. And I think, you know, that's a, that's a heart-wrenching kind mm-hmm. of a move to make in many cases, but I think it's, it's right. You know, like, yeah. how long can your conscience... Uh, stand um, the word of God being changed and taught in a false way. Right, and it might feel good in the moment, yeah. but it's not going to pay dividends in the future. It's, and, and, so, and I think it makes sense to people when you talk about it as medical practice. Mm-hmm. It's amazing to me that we will tolerate theological, spiritual malpractice in the church, being mm-hmm. told things that aren't true or that are only half true. But if you went to a doctor that practiced, you know, bad medicine, you know, that wasn't acting according to the best practices, you'd go find a different doctor because... Yeah, probably a lawyer too. Yeah. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. lose your license. And so we as, the, as pastors, as churches, we don't have the freedom just to invent doctrine and change it. And we'll be held accountable for that before God himself. And so, you know, we should, as church members, we should hold our pastors and leaders accountable for spiritual, biblical malpractice. So, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's their eternal souls, right? Their, their eternal well-being that's at stake yeah. here. So that's that's the the Methodist Church. You know that um, there's some other distinctions we probably could could mention. That's probably yeah some of the biggest ones. Um, what are you going to do with the scriptures? What are you going to do with the uh, the nature of humanity mm-hmm. and the way that p- humans are saved? Um, other things, you know, we we hold uh, often we hold different views of the sacrament. Yeah. Um, sacraments, baptism, Holy Communion, they, yeah. they will typically have a symbolic view of these things, not always, but typically. But nevertheless, I would say that the Methodists, um, they do baptize infants. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we would be closer in teaching than, say, with like the Baptists or mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, many of the charismatic churches. Uh, to kind of sum and wrap this thing up... Um, I would say just, you know, in, in, a, in a way we're talking about two different churches because it would be two different conversations for me to have a Methodist pastor friend who held to Wesley and mm-hmm. to the scriptures 
and the holiness tradition, we could open up the Bible and have a great conversation, I think, about these theological differences. Theological liberalism, on the other hand, it's like we're, we're not even having the same conversation. Yeah, it's, because I mean, they, they change the meaning of the words they're using yeah. quite often. And the, the primary authority is gonna, not really going to be the scriptures as the final word, but like yeah. kind of our cultural interpretation of the scriptures, which is much harder to grasp. Well, what's it going to be in 30 years? Exactly. So, yeah, so. All right. So that is the, the Methodist church. And um, yeah, if you have questions about this, uh, if you're like saying, hey, I'm in a Methodist church or I came from a Methodist background, you want more specific questions or clarity in this topic, hey, come and talk to us, send us an email, um, set an appointment. We would love to sit down and talk through any questions you might have. Sounds good. All right. See you next time.